You're listening to the City Lights Church Podcast with Pastor Jesse Miller. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm excited to be with you again this morning. Uh, I, lo- I love being able to share with you guys and that fact that you're here to entrust me with your time this morning. Um, so we started this new series through Psalms 139, and uh, it's a few weeks ago, God really gripped my heart with a few lines from that, from that chapter, and I really, I knew in that moment that we were supposed to go through this, uh, this time. And so this morning, I'm actually going to preach through the text that God really dropped into my heart, like the one that really, really grabbed me. And so I hope this morning you're able to listen with fresh ears and, and hear this morning, and I hope your hearts are going to be challenged. But I, I want to talk a little bit, before I get into the text, about uh, my childhood a little bit. I go into that every once in a while, and uh, some of you guys know many stories. But I mean, by the time that City Lights is over, like whatever that looks like, by the time, you, if you've been a part of our journey, you're going to know every detail about my childhood, because somehow I remember every detail about my childhood. It's weird. But um, I remember uh, one, of my, one of the things that I struggled with as a kid is I had a hard time being alone. Like, I just hated being alone. Uh, the only times that I was okay alone is if I was reading a good book or playing my Super Nintendo. Thank you. Um, like, that's the only time that I would be fine. If I was reading the book, playing my Nintendo, and something happened where I couldn't do those two, I'm look, looking around panicking. Where did everybody go? The rapture happened. I am alone, and I'm going to die. Like, that's, that's like my heart just did not work too well. Like, if I get in trouble, uh, my mom would send me to my room, I would be, like, freaking out every five minutes. I'd be like, can I come out yet? Or I'd, I literally would do this. I'd put my feet in my room, lay on the ground, and put my head around out in the hall just to kind of see where everybody's at, just to make sure nobody leaves me. I didn't want to be abandoned. My sister, you put her in a room, she'd be there 24-7 staring at a wall or like holding one Barbie. Doesn't even need more than one Barbie. Just like, this is my Barbie. Me and my Barbie. That did not work for me. Like, not the Barbie thing. I didn't have Barbies. I, it wasn't, I didn't want the Barbies. I used Joe a lot. I used that pink limousine my sister had as a cop car for G.I. Joe. Anyway, that's another story. But, like, I could not be alone. She's fine being alone. And the funny thing is, like, I'm seeing some of the similar things in my kids. Like, Faith, Faith is very similar to me in a lot of ways. Except she can play by herself in her room all day, entertain herself, no problems. Haley, Haley had a meltdown two nights ago because it was bedtime and she was supposed to be in her room. She's like, I don't want to be in here by myself. I'm like, you've been in this room by yourself for the last eight years. You'll be all right. It's like, but I understood. It's an issue. She doesn't want to be alone. There's something in us, though, that we crave relationship. We crave some kind of connection. So last week we talked about how inside of each one of us we're born with this desire to be known, to be understood, to be recognized, to be to have somebody see who we really are, to see us as we feel that we are. Make sense? We always want somebody to do that. And the truth is, we also always want to be with somebody. We have this innate desire for relationship. You know, I, I remember being in my room, right? And I'm like panicking alone. I'm like, mom, it's not good for man to be alone. She's like, you're not a man yet. Like, I'm like, I'm almost a man, you know? Like, there's something inside of us. Even scripture reminds us it's not good for man to be alone. We were created for relationship. We were created to have somebody with us. Um, that's very normal. It's, it's in all society. That's that idea. So even, even the most hermit, like you guys know a hermit. Anybody know who somebody's like, they're isolated and alone? Even that hermit truly wants to have relationship, but they're either so hurt 
or frustrated by society or individuals or people that they chose isolation over relationship. It's not because it's like their deepest, harsh desire is to be by myself. It's because they don't want to be hurt. They don't want to be annoyed. They don't want to have issues. So they cut themselves off from society. We all desire at some level and capacity relationship. That's why the movie Castaway was so important. That's why people are crying. Grown men and women are crying in the movie theaters when a volleyball named Wilson drifts off into the ocean. We're grieving over that. He lost his best friend. It's a ball. It's a volleyball. Why did he do that? Because he knew he needed relationship to stay sane. And even in that, he wasn't very sane. We all desire that. This morning, I want to talk about how we can have an awareness. We can have an assurance that we are always not only known by God, so a God who is omniscient, who knows and sees all, but he's also a God who's with us. He's omnipresent. We cannot go anywhere. If you would, turn to Psalms 139, verses 7 through 12. Uh, We also have it on the screen here. And if you don't have a Bible, the Bible in the pew in front of you is yours to keep. But Psalms 139, verse 7. It says this, Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even in the darkness, even the darkness is not light, is not dark to you. And night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. I want to kind of look through a few of these. So a few weeks ago, I was in this place of just really asking God for guidance, like on a couple different answers. I'm like, I need this. I need clarity for this decision. I need clarity for this decision. And I need clarity for this decision. How many of you guys have ever felt like that? Like, and these aren't like, you know, what cereal do I eat type of decisions. These are like major life-altering decisions. How many of you guys have been there? You just like want clarity. Like, I have no idea what to do. And I found myself in this position for a while, for a few months, and it was frustrating to a point of grieving me. And I remember being in worship um, at, in a staff meeting with Jared, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit reminded me of this verse. Where shall I go from your presence? Where will I run from your spirit? Where can I get away from you? I can't. I can't go anywhere that he's not there, that he doesn't already see, that he's not with me. Does that make sense? And let me tell you, that's incredibly, incredibly encouraging to me. Incredibly encouraging. That night I came, I drove down from uh, the the meeting I was at up near Buffalo, and I came down here to celebrate recovery, and they were playing some worship, and they sang a song that we've never done in this church before. And it says this very next line, if I make my bed in Sheol, even you are there. Like it was confirming that same day. God does not leave me. His, I can't go somewhere or make a decision where he's like, whoops, I don't go over into that area of the world. Or I don't go to that job. Or I don't go to that school. Or I don't do that family relationship. Does that make sense? God is with us. And that's incredibly exciting to me. This, the psalmist David here writes that if I, if I go from your spirit or if I flee from your presence, where, or where shall I go from your Spirit, where shall I flee from your presence? He's saying, I can't intentionally or accidentally leave a place that you aren't. I can't, I can't go somewhere that you're not there. Either intentionally or accidentally. To flee from his 
presence is an intentional act, right? And the psalmist says, I can't flee from you. You're going to hunt me down. You're there. You're already there. Wherever I'm going to, I mean, how many, you guys know the story of Jonah? Like, that's, that's it. Like, I can't get away from you. How many of you guys have ever felt like that in life where you're trying to get away from God and God just keeps like, nah, I love you. Like, here I am. I'm knocking. I'm here. I'm already, you went there. I'm already there. I'm at, I'm at the party. You thought that you, I wouldn't be at. I'm here at the party, right? You guys, I, I hope you understand that. that that's, that's who God is. And the psalmist says that. David, the psalmist says that. David, if you look in, in Psalms uh, chapter 38, he's saying, don't leave me, God. Don't leave me. The same David who's constantly saying, please don't leave. Don't take your hand from me. Don't move is reminding himself right here that even when I feel like you're not there, I know confidently that you are the God who does not leave me. And I can't go away from you. That's who you are. Verse 8 is an interesting one. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Now there's two terms here that we have to look at. We can look at them with our you know, 2017 American perspective, grown up in church, post-Protestant, post-Catholic, whatever our background is. We're like, oh, I understand the terms here. Sheol and heaven, I get it. It's heaven and hell. Well, no, and yes. Let me explain. Israel at that time did not regard heaven as a place that humans go in any capacity. Heaven was a place for God. For God Himself. And the only example that thinking of heaven, the place that he, somebody could go, was the prophet Elijah, who was taken up in the chariot. So David says in this sentence, if I could be so righteous and holy to ascend to where you live, you're already there. Because it's where you live. You're already there. If I could be that righteous, you're there. But if I could be the other side of this story. Now, Sheol, we think of as like, we, we, turn into hell, which is our imagery that we come in, comes in our mind, fire and flames and the devil with a pitchfork and little demons running around and, and worms and guts and all that. And I'm not here to debate that side of hell. But the truth is, Sheol had a very different, unique concept in the mind of David at the time. Sheol was a place that everybody went to. Good or bad, you went there. Sheol literally means ravine, chasm, underworld, or world of the dead. In the Old Testament, it's a place that all dead lived. It's a hollow space, hollow space underneath the earth that the dead gathered in. Here, all existence is in suspense. So basically, life stops. You die, you go to Sheol, everybody goes to Sheol. And just kind of a state of suspended living. It's not really a utopia. It's more like just nothing happens. It's described as a land of forgetfulness, just a ceasing gathering place. Make sense? That's what Sheol looks like to David, the psalmist's mind. Those who dwell there, though, we see the psalmist say, they don't understand how to praise God. They're just there, just existing. And the psalmist reminds God in, in chapter 88 that, God, if I go there, I don't get to worship you. It's not good. See, good and bad go there in David's mind. Everyone goes there. And it was only through Christ that the Jewish mind then began to shift its way of thinking that we can escape that reality and be with heaven. Make sense? Be in heaven. So that's not, I want you to understand, when David's writing this, he's not saying, if I'm really good Christian and I go to heaven, you're there, and if I die and go to hell, you're there. He's saying, 
doesn't matter what I do in this capacity, you are in both of these realities, and one of them is not even really a reality. Heaven was not a reality for him. Make sense? See, he understands, though, that God's omnipresence transcends in the shield. Job said, Sheol is naked before God. Proverbs said, Sheol and Abaddon, which is another word for like the Lord over Sheol, lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of men. The psalmist understood, David understood, that there's not a thing that I can do, either become so righteous or just die and decay as a result of sin, that you still don't see and aren't present. I can't. I just can't get away from you. You're there. You're that involved in my life. David essentially says if I achieve some level of righteousness and make it to God's dwelling place and be with God, I would be with God. And if the curse of death happens to my body, God would still be present. God would still be present. That makes sense? Verse 9. If I take the wings of morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. So that's a weird phrase, isn't it? The wings of morning. So I did some study. What does that mean? And it's really just how quick day comes, how quick light comes, how quick the winds come into our lives. So David says, if I was super, super fast, basically, if I took the wings of morning, if I had lightning speed, and then I went straight into the bottom of the ocean, guess what? I did not run you. I didn't hide from you. I can't get away. If I was to try to get away from you, you're still present with me. See, God's presence still pursues us. God's presence goes after us. You cannot outrun God. You can't. It's impossible. See, David understood what Adam and Eve did not understand. What's the first thing they do when they sin? What do they do? They try to hide from God. I'm going to get these leaves that God made and this bush that God created, and he won't see me here because he doesn't know this bush exists. And these leaves will confuse him, right? Like, like it's, it's, our na- it's our instinct. It's our sin nature instinct. It's not natural in the kingdom. It's natural in the carnal mind. By the sin nature, our natural response to a good and holy God in light of our sin, our sin wants to go and run and hide somewhere under a bush. Well, I, God can't find me here. He can't speak truth to me. He can't correct me here. He can't put his hand upon me. He can't tell me what I'm doing good. And he definitely can't tell me what I'm doing bad. So I'm going to go and take like, the wings of the morning and go into the darkest part of the sea. Then he won't find me. And David says, I can't even do that. When I sin, when I make a big mistake and I try to outrun God, God comes and finds me. He's, he's, he already knows where I'm at. I can't outrun him. I can't escape God. He's way too big. He's way too powerful. How often do you and I kid ourselves when we fall into some kind of sin? We try to put ourselves in this place where we're like going to outrun God the rest of our life. Like if we could just get there, then he won't speak to me. Or he won't have a part of my life. And I will be in my own existence. And he will be in his. I mean, I, I've, said, I've joked about this before. How many times I've been with coworkers And we used to do meals on wheels, right? So we pick up the meals on wheels at a church parking lot. The moment we pull into the parking lot, they stop cursing. They're like, oh, I can't curse. And one of them cursed, like, you just cursed on a church parking lot. Don't you know the Lord's here? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, so somehow when you get out onto Main Street, the Lord's like, no, 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 no I don't cross streets. I stay in my house. At the most, I stay in my yard. That's it. Like that's, God does not work that way. There's nowhere that we can flee. 
There's nowhere that we can hide our sins. There's nowhere that we can escape from God. God's constantly pursuing and he's all over. Heaven, hell, earth, sea, it doesn't matter. God is all present. He's omnipresent. He's there. He's with you. If you're in sin, that's terrifying. If you're righteous, that's amazing. Sin makes us feel separated. So what we do is try to separate more. Sin reminds us of our fallenness. Where the Holy Spirit, the Lord is trying to show us his love, we take the fallenness and embrace it and we try to separate, separate ourselves more. That's what we do. I mean, I've been there. It's whenever you just sin, typically we feel so far away from God. And that's, a, that's a something in our minds. We're like, well, we're already fallen. Might as well be more fallen and separated. Might as well keep doing it. Right? Like that's, the, the, that's not the heart of the Father at all. The heart, I love the story of the prodigal son. Like that, that is an amazing story. That the son runs out and rebels. He's like, well, maybe I'll just be a servant. And the father's like, no, you're still a son. I run to meet you. I grab you and I embrace you. That is who our father is. He's awesome. It's good. Verse 10, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Have you ever been on like a road trip with somebody and they were just horrible with directions? Like, and they're guiding you, and you're like, this is going to be the trip from Sheol. We can't say the other one here. Anybody? Just me. Okay. So maybe it's me who's always doing the leading, but okay. I saw that point back there. We'll have counseling later on. No, I'm kidding. I remember uh, in college, I was part of this traveling ministry team. We, we did youth camps all over, and, and uh, we did acting and music and all that stuff. And uh, it was eight of us in this, like, 15-passenger van. I don't know why we got a big van like that. But anyway, we're all in this van, and the guy who's the director of the camp gives us step-by-step instructions of how to get there. This is, like, prior to GPS on your phones, right? This is prior to, like, Garmin's in your car. This is low-budget, college, we got to make it to Vermont somehow and get to this camp in the middle of the Vermont wilderness, right? And so... All up through that whole tour, I had been using real maps with pages, and I had been sitting in the passenger seat as the navigator, right? And I had done excellent. I got us around Boston without getting stuck in traffic. I got us through all kinds of places that I had never been to before with a real map. Then all of a sudden, for this place in Vermont, we put away the map, and we pull out this guy's step-by-step email instructions, right? We got so lost in the middle of Vermont, it was terrifying. I tried to find a video. I, don't have, I can't find the video. It's somewhere. But there's a video of me in a van at night with a bunch of other college students in the middle of Vermont driving on this dirt road that was like literally just as wide as the van, and it came to a dead end after like a quarter mile. We're like, how do we get out of here? And it's nighttime. And on the way down that road, we seen a, a, a trailer with, I'm not kidding, about 30 statues of geese in their front yard. I was terrified. Why do you need that many geese? Why? In Vermont. Like, what was going on? I was terrified on this road. And I was so frustrated by, I'm like, I should have just followed my own instructions with a map. But I took this guy's word. He wrote down, he wrote down a street that didn't have a sign. It had no street sign. So we passed this imaginary street in the middle of Vermont. I have not been back to Vermont since. 
It's true. That was like 2005, so 12 years. I'm not taking trips to Vermont anymore. Anyway, it's horrible. When you're with somebody who doesn't have the instructions and doesn't know where they're going, it's a nightmare, right? You just, like, you just want to quit. You're like, I'm going to go home. I, I, don't, I don't even know how to get home. Like, it's awful. Here the psalmist says, in the midst of my fleeing, in the midst of me trying to hide, your hand guides me. Your hand leads me to truth. Your hand is never like letting me go further and further. Like, eh, all right, I'm done with you. Just push you off the, high, the diving board. Try to swim. No, his hand is constantly trying to guide us. It's always on us. I love it. Your right hand will hold me. His hand is leading us out of the the bottom of the sea, out of our fleeing, and his right hand is holding on to us. What does that show us? The right hand in Scripture refers to a few different things. One is typically the people's most dominant hand, but metaphorically, it's his strength. It's about his preeminence. It's about his power. Make sense? In the Old Testament, if you get a patriarchal blessing, the right hand was the hand of blessing to release a blessing over somebody's life. It was to speak of their power to talk about the right hand. Oaths were accompanied with the raising of the right hand. To sit at somebody's right hand showed a place of honor. Make sense? When Jesus returns, believers will be placed at the right side of him. The right hand shows us that God's promises, his blessings, his power hang on to us, the psalmist says. David says, your right hand holds on to me. It's your strength, it's your honor, it's your blessing, it's your glory. It's all that you are put around me in the midst of me fleeing from you. That's how much you care. That's how much you are there for me. That is pretty good news for us this morning. Finally, verses 11 through 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and night is bright as day. For darkness is light with you. If I attempt to cover myself in darkness, he sees right through it. If I attempt to cover myself up, if I try to hide, if I try to go to the darkest places of society, God still looks right through my brokenness, my darkness, my shame, my guilt, my addictions, my whatever, and he still sees right through it. Darkness is his light to him. We can't hide in the midst of darkness. He is fully there and fully aware of where we are at. This morning, there's a few things that this verse really speaks out to me, and I hope it can encourage you. When we get stuck with the I don't want to step out of the will of God type of thinking. It, and that's, that's usually when we, how many of you guys have ever been there? I don't want to get, I don't want to do anything that's not the will of God. I think if we're believers, most of us at some point have been there. Usually that thought comes out of a desire for his presence in our lives, right? Or his blessing in our lives. We realize that we want his presence and we need his blessing. And so we begin to kind of wrestle with this thought, like, I don't want to do something that's out of the will of God. I don't want to, I don't want to do, make the wrong decision. I don't want to be out of his will, as if, like, we're just constantly throwing God curveballs. And he's like, whoa, i got to do a whole new plan. Gotta, this is going to mess me up. Mess me up now. Jesse, I did not see that coming when you took that job. That job was the one that I thought you were going to do, and you did this. Like, 
That's not who God is, right? We completely underestimate him. So this verse reminds me that when I get stuck into that thinking, all I simply need to do is ask, okay, did the Lord give me confirmation for one or the other? Okay, no, he didn't. Do one of these things go against scripture, his written word, his written guidebook? No, it didn't. Then I need to confidently know that the Lord's hand is on me. If he hasn't told me no and he hasn't told me yes, then I have to know that he trusts me and his hand is guiding me and it's leading me somewhere. Make sense? We should, I, I'm saying this because this is what I just wrestled with the last few months and I'm still kind of wrestling with this. I have to confidently know that the Lord trusts me to partner with heaven and to do what I feel heaven is calling me to do. I see, does this go against scripture? No. Does this go against something he's already told me in my heart? No. Then I just, I, I, I can do it and his hand's on me. Make sense? We should be, Christians should be so happy and so free, but so often we get so scared of like God distancing himself from us. As if he's just like ready to like separate at any little decision that we do. We get so anxious over decisions and we forget that he's a covenant keeping God. He keeps his covenants with us. He promises that he won't leave us or forsake us. He promises that we are his people. We are his sheep. God doesn't leave us. If, if we move, we have to be confident that his hand holds us. His hand is on us to guide us. I love that scripture says there's, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. And if God is love, if that's his perfect nature, if he is love, he doesn't have love, he is love, then we shouldn't have fear. Why do we fear his abandonment at every little decision? Why do we fear that he's going to leave us like some orphan? Why do we fear like there's going to be massive repercussions if we take this job and not that job? Or if we have this conversation and not have that conversation? Or I would eat this bowl of cereal and not that bowl of oatmeal, whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we get stuck in this constant anxiety thing, and anxiety should not be a part of the Christian life. It shouldn't. Because I have to trust that his hand is on me. I hear his voice. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. Right? I have to trust that. And if he's not saying something, that I know his hand's on me, and it's okay. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. Worship team, if you would come forward. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. You guys still good? Everybody still okay? Yeah. All, right. All right. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I think we sang that this morning, right? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Is God who justifies? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus is interceding for us. That's awesome. Jesus who sits at the right hand of God 
place of honor is interceding for us. That's a pretty good prayer. If I want anybody interceding for me, it's Jesus. I mean, I love your prayers, but Jesus' prayers are pretty good. I'm just saying. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, this is where I want you to really see it now. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angel nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This morning, church, I want to remind you, whatever you're walking through, whatever decisions you're in, if you're in sin trying to flee, or if you're pursuing righteousness and pursuing his heart, but you're worried about decision-making, I want to remind you, where can you go that his presence isn't? Where can you run from that his spirit's not already at? Even in the bottom of the ocean, in the darkest place, he sees through it and he puts his hand on us and he guides us in the truth. He guides us in his destiny. Does it make sense? There are good things God has in mind for you. This morning, you need to know that you are not alone and he is completely for you. He is completely for you. As I reminded us last week, I'll remind us again. This psalm, Psalm 139, was not just written as like David's private little journal or a little testimony to remind himself of God's goodness. This psalm was written with the intention of the people of God singing this over their lives, reminding themselves of God's hand, reminding us that God is not only the God who sees and knows, but he's the God who is there. Wherever you're going, he is there. Wherever you've been, he was there. Wherever you are now, he is there. This morning, I encourage you, we're going to stand, we're going to worship. But this week, if you are struggling with anxieties or fears in some capacity about running from the will of God, I want to remind you, he is there. A couple, two weeks ago, first thing in the morning, right? First thing in the morning, I get up and I go check on on Faith. She's in her bed. She's sleeping, and she hears me coming in. She rolls over, looks at me. She's like, Dad, I'm like what? She goes, are we ever going to Antarctica? I'm like, what? I said, no, we're not going to Antarctica. She's like, well, then how will I see penguins? I'm like, first thing you're thinking of is how will I see penguins? I love it, the fact that if I went to Antarctica, God's there. Like, God is even with the penguins in Antarctica. Like, it's so ridiculous. doesn't matter what kind of plan you can come up with in your head. You cannot escape God's love for you. You cannot escape his presence in your life. That's good news. We can hide ourselves in shame and guilt and condemnation. But he's like, I see you. I'm still here. I'm still trying to win you. I'm still knocking. still pursuing you. I'm right here. Just, just be aware of it. And David's like... David, a man who struggled with this his whole life, constantly back and forth. Don't leave me, God. Don't forsake me. You're there. You're there. I know you're there. Some of us struggle with it. And I, I want to pray for you this morning. I'm praying for myself as well that I remind myself of this passage. I sing this over my life. I cannot leave his presence. I love that Israel, when they were searching, when they were in the wilderness, they were led around by what? His presence. There was nothing else. Just give us your presence. We'll follow it. I love that the disciples, when Jesus says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and all the other people leave, they're like, that's weird. Jesus says, you're going to leave? And he's like, 
Peter's like, no, where else are we going to go? We just want you. Your words are life. That, that's the same thing that God promises for us, that I'm always with you. I'm always with you. It's good. Father, this morning we come to you and we just worship you because you are the God who is there. You're the God who is right here with us, in us, leading us. Your hand of power, your hand of honor, your hand of blessing has not left us. So, Father, be glorified in our worship. Let us, re- let us remember that we are your people, that you are a covenant God. Let's worship for a little bit.